Welcome back to another episode of the Huxley Morton podcast, the show where each week we speak to pharma company owners and industry leaders sharing their stories of personal and professional growth. This week, I'm joined again by my co-host, Adam Walker, um, and a good man that we've just been talking to very briefly off air, Rob Norman, the managing director of JBS Ventures. Uh, Rob, Adam, welcome back to the show. Yeah, thank you both for having me on. It's a real honor and a privilege to be a part of the org, uh, the, the broadcast and uh, I look forward to our discussion today. Fantastic. Well, look, um, Rob, I've given you a little bit of an introduction there, uh, but I guess just before we kicked off, you mentioned that there's a bit of relationship between the organizations that you are involved with, um, JBS and, and various other ventures that your name can be accredited to. So look, give us uh, a more detailed overview of, of of you your role your company and what you guys are doing as jbs and um and the group as it may be great well many people may know me uh with my time in biopharma uh, and my previous organization's name of biopharma advisors um, when i uh, left glaxo smith klein in 2002 i started an independent consulting firm with the idea of building a network of independent or small consultancies that would work together and bring the power and the experience and the intelligence that the big firms do, but at a price point, small, medium, and uh, new upstart uh, life science companies could afford uh, because you know McKinsey and BCG and the others are uh, quite expensive. That. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and at that time, uh, really um, LinkedIn was just getting started as a networking tool in those days or in, you know, the early 90s. And so um, they really built the platform that I wanted to build for us as independent consultants. And in fact, we ended up not doing Biopharma Advisors Network because we could get the interaction and the other things we needed on the platform through LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I think basically today we are primarily a business consulting firm. Uh, we, because we're small, we tend to handle some of the problems and other uh, challenges um, the big firms don't take on or that, you know, companies are operating and they can't get a lot of VC behind, but they still need to solve those business challenges. Can you give an example there, um, Rob? I'm just thinking my brain's already uh, running a million miles an hour. So give us an sure. example of, of the type of work then that, that you guys would perhaps take on compared to the likes of, of McKinsey, which you know everyone's heard of. Well, I've got a, a, a currently a third party that is in the clinical trial recruiting space at the moment. And they have a unique process. Uh, it's been in play for them for about three to five years, but it's not, they're having trouble scaling it. They're having trouble um, understanding the metrics behind it. And again, it's a smaller company, but it's very niche focused. Um, We're in there right now. We've done some stakeholder interviews. We've put some things together and we redesigned a streamlined business process that we know will save time, will save money, and ensure referrals lead to randomizations later on. Mm-hmm. A couple of things that every business owner likes to hear there, save time, save money. Yeah, and, and, and I think, yeah, and, and the funny part about it is, is they're a bit in startup mode. Mm-hmm. So we, you know, the other thing that um, I did at one of my previous jobs, I was the head of global e-business. We always were looking at innovation and so, we continue to monitor innovation through JBS Ventures and actually invest our own mostly time and energy into helping these small startups uh, get up and running. Now, of course, there's lots of incubators today as well, funded by very large VCs, um, but not all the time are those businesses able to get that kind of VC funding and so we tend to work with the folks that may not have made first round or, you know, are a clear, mm-hmm. clear innovation in the space. Or maybe it's just a process innovation um, that that one company has. 
Are you, are you going out looking for business, Robert? Or is it more a case of through your professional and existing network um, that people are coming to you and asking you for solutions or support with some of the challenges that they're experiencing? Well, you know, Adam, it's funny you mentioned that. Um, in the last six months and post-COVID, I've somewhat taken that latter viewpoint of people are going to find me through my connections and LinkedIn relationships. Yep. Prior to that period of time, I always felt I had to be out there and, you know, saying something. But I think that the world is so noisy today with social media and the like, um, to compete actively with that takes so much time, energy, and effort. My firm is, you know, a very small firm. And, uh, you know, when I work together with three or four colleagues like you and I have discussed working together in the past, um, you know, you don't necessarily need to do that because I find your really good repeat business is as good or better than brand new business. I uh, absolutely agree with that. And, and to, that, to that point as well, so you're working, you're working as a consultant network, are you? You're bringing in trusted partners and trusted people that you've worked with extensively in the past, and then you're forming a, you know, a high-performing team. Is that the idea? That's the idea. And, and again, there's lots of uh, independent catalysts um, that I know of in the marketplace today. Um, and, you know, I'm having, you know, bi-monthly conversations with a list of probably 50 of them that I know I could actively engage anywhere along a life cycle, med device, biotech um, clients life cycle from early discovery through, you know, six years post-launch. And even, you know, now we're starting to get into some biosimilar bio discussions and market access issues. Sure, sure. Sure, so I'm, I'm just thinking here, how would this perhaps differ to, I guess, the services and consulting that often comes from these organizations that provide an incubator? Because uh, myself, I've just come off a call uh, with someone who's, I guess, probably running a similar business model to yourself, uh, Rob, but also mm -hmm. on the show not so long ago, um, had a couple of guys that the founders of, of Brazen Bio who are starting a new um, Project Wire incubator uh, over on the West Coast where, you know, they're looking to raise capital, bring in loads of startup founders of, of biotechs uh, and provide guess almost like a, a WeWork platform for these guys to use all their own labs, keep all of their own IP, etc. But you guys, so where, what's your niche or, or niche as, as you guys often refer to it over in the States? What's, what's that sort of sweet spot for, for you guys? I think what we do versus some of those execution folks is we help our clients execute at the back end. Mm -hmm. uh, my experience with a lot of the incubators is they'll tell you what they think and you need and how to get your pitch right and do those kinds of exercises. And then once you get that funding in a series A round or a series B round, they're more like board members at that point in time telling you what they believe you should do. Um, but they're, it's not been my experience. I'm not saying that it doesn't exist. But there's not a lot of firms that now get down and dirty and, you know, literally are making phone calls. So uh, peace of mind and a lot of handholding to walk your clients through the process step by step as yeah. Yeah, solid, I guess, you know, business partners rather than you seeing them as clients, etc. So it's, it's really just a, a much more on the ground personal relationship. It, it is, but I, I think the other piece is, you know, we all see innovation taking place in lots of different ways, but because there's so much capital on the sidelines today, deploying that tends to get deployed to bigger, uh, you know, uh, larger projects that can return multi-millions of dollars and potentially hundreds of millions of dollars versus, you know, 5K, 500K or 250K, you know, on some level, those don't tend to get as much of the funding aspects of it, unless it's a technology, you know, lots of people are investing in technology, but a lot of uh, folks that might have people processes or services um, aren't getting the investment there because it's harder to make the 
the um, transition to a, you know, a buyout, uh, so to speak, down the line. So those VCs are less attractive to that. Mm -hmm. So look, Rob, it sounds like you've got, an, I guess, an interesting business model there and an interesting way of, of doing it and holding hands with, with your clients along the way. Um, but look, I, I guess for, for those that are listening in and perhaps not watching uh, the YouTube version here, um, I guess that Adam and I can see that there's a, a few gray hairs on, on that experienced head of yours. Um, <laughs> You're so kind. <laughs> you can see all three of them, in other words, right? Looking good, Rob, and I'll be following, following your footsteps on that front, I can assure you. Um, but look, tell us about how, how you got into this, because nobody ends up becoming you know a, a trusted partner taking a, you know advice from from people to this level uh, to help them expand and, and scale their businesses unless you've often been there done it you know what so talk us through your background and how you even got into the world of consulting and, and pharmaceuticals in the, the, the sure. first place well, and I think this is great uh, advice I give a lot of people I mentor to, which is another valued service we bring to many of our clients, right? Um, first and foremost, I say that today, you know, uh, life is, tends to be a series of, I used to say three to five year events. I know it's probably, I believe it's more like 12 to 24 month events and you're shifting or you, you're having to be agile and, and move around. I think the other piece for me is um, I've always tried to look at the skills that I possess. How can, in the things I'm doing, um, strengthen those skills, but more importantly, uh, build on and learn uh, from my weaknesses that I have. Can I mentor with somebody else that might help me improve my weaknesses? So it's a constant learning mm -hmm. as well. I think sometimes today, um, folks have challenges with that, with time management and things like that, that it becomes difficult to the, for them to invest in themselves. Mm -hmm. so with those kinds of things in mind, realizing it, I, I think the word that comes to my mind is, you know, uh, adaptable, um, uh, you know, agile. I mean, in, in fact, most um, search organizations today tend to look for examples of people who have had agile business situations and how they've adapted themselves in those agilely to be successful in those situations as a predictor of future success. Mm -hmm. So um, keep in mind that over my career, I've been very fortunate. I, I started out of university as, an, as a pharmaceutical sales representative carrying a bag and after a year, I, I experienced my first of probably five different uh, corporate cutbacks. And so I felt myself, uh, you know, because I was the, one of the last ones hired by this company, being one of the first ones to be potentially let go, or I could accept a transfer to another city. So why, accept why, why, why did you start there, ph pharmaceutical sales rep? Look, I know it can be a lucrative um, job, you know, when we're ever recruiting in that space. Um, there's, you know, the big figures being thrown around, but why did you, how, or how, how and why did you, did you start there? Well, throughout university training, I got a, I got a business degree and, you know, the, at the end of the day, I had a lot of people, including my dad, um, who was a public accountant at the time say to me, Hey, you know, these, these, uh, people in pharma, they, mm -hmm. they make pretty good incomes and they don't need to worry about shifting jobs as often as you think. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I think you'd be a good sales rep. And so I had pursued job interviews with pharmaceutical companies as early as my junior year in university and it ended up miraculously getting hired prior to my graduation date from university. So I had a job in the bag back way back when. Wow. And how, how was that the life of a, um, a pharma sales rep, uh, rep back then? And you know, have you seen it change to what, what things are now? Yeah, so much better, so much nicer, more relationships, so little um, uh, regulations that they have today. Today's experience is so different. Um, at the core is still, you know, you're, you're trying to build a trusted relationship with a healthcare professional. Um, and, and they have to see you as a knowledgeable um, experienced individual um, that isn't just trying to sell them. 
you know, that you can go toe to toe. Mm -hmm. um, behind my first sales representative work, I, I when I went to work first for Glaxo in uh, 1986, um, I actually was hired on as a hospital sales representative. And mm -hmm. that's where you really learn to think on your feet and uh, bring in uh, reprints and other clinical work. And it's almost like you're talking to them in the practice of medicine more so than in the terms of you know, selling or something like that. I think that's been very, very difficult for reps to do today just because um, there's so much mistrust and distrust of sales representatives. They've got a, a really bad rap. Um, and, and I'm not sure that that's warranted. For I, was, I was just about to say, do you think that's fairly or, or unfairly? Because I guess you're always going to get good apples and bad apples in, in any industry, um, is my opinion. So, yeah, I was just going to say, you feel that that's perhaps a little bit unfairly? Well, um, I, again, depends on the perspective. I think there are still people that are selling different things that, they believe their sole goal is to sell it to you at all costs. Um, however, um, the majority of the people I've encountered uh, tend to really be focused on the relationship, but sometimes forget to earn their trust. You know, one of the questions you asked me, you know, I think in, in our prep work is like, what's one of the books that you or resource that you can recommend? I'm a huge Seth Godin fan. I don't know how much you guys know about his published works and the like. But in particular, he has a book called Permission I, I Marketing. To him. Yeah, and his Permission Marketing book is great. Why? Because he says, don't assume you've earned the trust of the individual. Give them a reason to listen to you again. But more importantly, ask for that permission to come back and have a conversation with them. That way you'll know you've earned their trust and confidence. Uh, and I think that that's a really important piece for good sales representatives to keep in mind moving forward. Mm -hmm. So how did, how did things go for, for, me, for you back then? So your, your father had, I guess, prompted you to, to get into the industry. You took mm -hmm. his advice and, and lead. I think mine, similar sort of um, scenario with my father, he was in academia, you know, worked at colleges doing a lot of the legal contracts side of things, but he was trying almost to drive me down that, that route. And I said, no, I want to get into sales because I've seen some of the, the money dangled out there mm -hmm. um, and went completely the opposite way. You, I guess your father, you know, pushed you um, or you've guided you in, into the, to the route. How did it go back then? Where did things lead? You know, you, you, you mentioned that early 2000s. Yeah, na natural progression. So that's kind of, you remember I said life was a series of three to five year events, mm -hmm. you know, um, in the late 90s, early 2000s, and even today, um, you know, people are typically judged um, based on all their moves and all of this other stuff. And sometimes you have to move from one company to another. I tell people that, you know, once I landed at Glaxo, which was Glaxo at that time, um, I got to, over the next 20 some years, be able to interact and every three years I was in a different role. So I got to evolve my career to be kind of the broad strategist and to be able to look across the business. And I think that's one of the downsides today is because people are moving so fast, they um, um, are really looking at um, being very specific and very narrow, you know, like, oh, I can only be in clinical affairs. I can't be in, um, specifically commercial and clinical affairs. What's really interesting though, Rob, you mentioned about, you know, multiple, multiple roles and, you know, moving around in, in, their, in different positions within organizations. The larger farmer seemed to be able to support that far more. And, and I, I thought when you were talking about the sales, sales roles, everyone that I know that's been in sales has only done it for about three years because by, by the time they get to the end of their three years, they're pretty much burned out by travel and rejection and, all the things that come with with performing that very high, high demanding type of role. Is that your experience well, as well? I agree with you, Adam. Um, I, I, di I differ a little and at, or um, offer a different perspective here. Um, you know, 
everybody Perfect. still hears no in all the corporate jobs too, you know, so it isn't any <laughs> different from sales and marketing or, you know, commercial, we're all hearing no. Um, yeah. I think the key is, is your resilience and your persistence, right? Yeah. And uh, that becomes a key feature of that. And, and, and again, my goal was to kind of learn the entire process to the point where I was on a task force in, in my later years um, at GlaxoSmithKline at the time, where we were identifying all the different commercialization activities that were taking up place from early discovery through five years post-launch. And I now still use that knowledge in setting pictures about, okay, here's what you got to accomplish. Here's what you need to do. Well, when McKinsey had that kind of an arrangement, they had 10 different consultants along those different border points. And only the most senior partner really saw the big strategy at the umbrella level. Yeah. You know, but you never lose that. You never lose that re resilience, though, do you? You know, the the listening to the nose kind of gives you a very, very thick skin, and and you learn from that, and then you, you know, learn the language of of no and turning a no into a maybe, perhaps, and just right. you know the the repetition and the drip drip drip. Yes, and I think the other thing that it's helped me, and it, and it this is a sad part for me of of I think endemic and technology has accelerated this, but it's damaged that personal face-to-face -face relationship. Um, COVID, you know, put us all in these 10 by 12 spaces within our own homes. We're all operating a little bit differently. And so the way in which we judge different people is very different. And as a result, I think at the core of it, it's only about what's in your resume or other things. It, it, it's hard to convey that personality piece um, in a job role, uh, to, you know. To be, to be fair, to be fair though, I think I think the other thing that it does it has enabled us to do though is to connect with people that we wouldn't otherwise be talking to. Certainly, James and I would not be in the same room as you today um, through geographical challenges, but it gives us the opportunity to to have a, a, a three way conversation, having been in in completely different locations around you know both in the UK and across across the water a absolutely and I think for our businesses collectively yeah. knowing what I know this is how we will survive I the agree. issue is is will a big company culture be, be open to bringing in outsiders into a GlaxoSmithKline environment where they're in you know zoom meetings all day too but it's only other Glaxo employees. It's not uh, outside, you know, uh, folks. I know a lot of the greatest ideas I got when I was inside a Glaxo were through listening and interacting with some vendors that I had relationships with. To, to be fair, I've, I've been integrated into a large pharmaceutical company myself, and I'm doing that at the moment as a consultant. So I think I think yes is the answer. That's been my okay. experience. It's it's created more opportunity for me in that respect. I don't know whether that's been your experience with regards to your consulting opportunities and and indeed how much that relies upon the pre-COVID experiences and and the professional connections you had. But certainly from my own experience, it's it's given me it's given me far more opportunities actually. Yeah, and I think it's this it's this notion of depth and breadth of relationship is what I'm trying to convey. Yeah. It's, you may have greater depth without the breath, or you may have greater breath without depth. Um, and, and what was Great nice point. about personal relationships is I think it helped smooth that out. So they were a, there was a balance between the two. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So you were, you were at um, Glaxo, which then became uh, GSK over the years for, for a while. Mm -hmm. um, clearly you took a few pieces from that because each as you say every three to four years you kind of reinvented yourself within the same business to, to gain different experiences and as you said when we kicked off uh, the show kind of just keep learning um so it sounds like you did a lot of learning um there and then at what point was it uh rob um that you decided that that it was time for time for a change um Talk us through your thought process there and, and what the, the next steps were and, and how those those subsequent yeah. years looked. So so right around, you know, 
uh, Y2K and all those issues, I had been in a globally business role. So I got to experience a lot of all other cultures as well, right? Because um, I had staff in the UK. Um, I read a great book called Brit Think, Amerithink that helped me understand very quickly. I had a friend refer it to me. And I, I really enjoyed that because it took a look at um, American culture versus British culture on about 10 different parameters. And it was really eye-opening uh, to understand and, and it made me realize sometimes how myopic Americans can be compared to Canadians or Europeans or um, others that um, have faced lots of other challenges and overcome those things for one. But I think to go back to this, um, the other piece for me is, you know, you really are promoted or given a chance because of somebody can see what you're gonna be able to do to help them, not, not a as a reward for what you've done. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's, that's a really high note in anyone's career when they can actually uh, get new opportunities because of the person they're talking with understands, hey, this person can give me X, Y, or Z and help me accomplish my goals. Mm -hmm. and I, I agree. I think, you know, anytime just in sales, recruitment, or anywhere where you're providing a service, that's what people look, look for. And that's where that trust is, is gained. You know, if you perceive that person as someone that can help you achieve your goal and they're knowledgeable, you know, they're smart, they're enthusiastic, they're kind of a force to be reckoned with, within their individual fields. You're like, yeah, I've got no other reason to not trust them. I just need to let them, as you're probably doing with your clients, Rob, guide me through that process, hold my hand through the through the step-by-step -step, uh, scenario. And I think you're, you're spot on um, with, with that. So I guess, look, coming back to the exit from, from I, I guess, Glaxo um, and venturing into becoming a consultant and, Leading us up to, to JBS Ventures and, and um, Biopharma ad Advisors, talk us through that that time period because I guess going from a huge corporate like GSK to you know a, a smaller business, more entrepreneurial where you are now, there must have been the, the change must have been quite staggering. Um, talk, talk us talk us through that the, the differences. How how did you deal with that? Well, you know, actually. Uh, I'll say just back a couple of years ago, I actually mapped out my career. You know, mm -hmm. here I am at this age and there's four things I want to do. Either stay at my current company, uh, jump to some other company, uh, maybe take a flyer and jump to another industry. Or I know past a certain age, I want to be out on my own, doing my own thing as kind of a, a sunset to my career. Mm hmm. So um, I hadn't dated a lot of other companies, hadn't done really good intelligence because I realized very early on with a 20 or so year career at one company, you know, your network isn't that broad uh, outside of the company. You're, it's very insulated mm -hmm. inside the company. And so I realized I didn't know who I wanted to go to work for or what other industry I might want to try, you know, get into. So that kind of left me going, well, I eventually want to be out of my own. Why not see if I can do that now? Uh, and if not, I'll make it, you know, adapt at that point in time. So for the first three years, I was just trying to see if I could make money on my own. Mm -hmm. I mean, everybody has about a two or three year window. Once they leave a big corporation like a Glaxo, uh, to make it on their own uh, because, you know, you're still needed or wanted based on your last position. And uh, what I found is that I enjoyed the consulting. I enjoyed the problem solving that I was able to do. And I, I still was able to maintain kind of a global consultancy with this idea of network of, of constituents. And ironically, that's continued on now uh, since uh, 2002. Uh, and uh, I, I, I still remain at it. Um, I, I, back in 2017, did take a small corporate assignment as an, a full-time, you know, corporate employee of a, a health IT company, uh, which was a great experience because I lived in San Francisco for, you know, uh, 15 months and uh, worked there 
and learned that whole HIT business and specifically electronic health records. Wow. What was the, the biggest challenge uh, there? Because it sounds as though clearly you, you could make money out on your own. You enjoyed the consulting life. I know that uh, Mr. Walker has sort of ventured into that game him, himself. He's clearly, you know, also doing, doing well at it. And it is rewarding. It goes back to a couple of the things that you mentioned earlier, which is having that flexibility, using what you've learned to create your own lifestyle. Um, but look, I, I guess I've been there also. But it, it wasn't always plain sailing. The idea of being your own boss sometimes seems amazing when you're working for a, a big corporate and having to answer into somebody. Often when you then have to answer, there's there's no one to answer to but yourself. It's just it's just a different stress. How how did you find it? How did you cope with that element of it? Well, ironically, I'd actually say if you've ever been a leader within a large multinational corporation, you, it's somewhat you're running your own business, but within the confines of a major corporate board structure and, and financing mechanism. Mm -hmm. um, I, I mean, you know, a leadership job today in big pharma can be very lonely, even though you've got 24 direct reports, you're on the move all the time. I mean, it's just exhausting. And, you know, to maintain relationships, if you're, you know, you know it's important for you have relationships. It's difficult to be a senior leader, in my opinion, in some of those organizations today. Um, but I go come back to the topic we've been talking about, which is persistence and resilience, because everybody is always trying to knock others down, regardless of where you're coming from, where you're going to. Think about the headhunting process that you have of placing a candidate in place. 10, 15 years ago, how many interviews did that candidate go through? Today, how many interviews does that candidate go through? My understanding is the number of people that they and the steps they have to go through just to get hired is so much more than it was 5, 10, 12 years ago. I would say COVID, you're probably, you're, you're spot on, Rob. Albeit at the moment, things have changed drastically. I'm seeing with, with several of my clients, one stage interviews that are done as a panel kind of like this where it's you know mm -hmm. four decision makers will all jump on a call they will just do it straight up because they know the power has switched to the job seeker yeah the job seeker right now is in such particularly in life sciences pharma are in Agreed. such a strong position they can interview from the comfort of their bedrooms with four companies in the space of probably four hours, you know, they might want to give themselves a little bit of a bio break to go to the, the bathroom, etc. But they could do that and have an offer by the end of the day. So those who are not acting fast are moving, are, are losing out. And uh, I, I, I absolutely agree with that point. Actually, James, that's been similar experience to me as well with consulting is whereas in the past, it would take some months to get to a point of contract. Now it's one conversation one proposal and then it's a contract and it can be as quick as you know it's been under under a week under a week in in a number of occasions in the last six nine months i've never that's, experienced anything like that before yeah that's refreshing that's a positive outcome then right yeah. out of this yeah. absolutely really 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 it has been and and i i wanted to also you know make make another point to you rob which is you know around the fact that i i have many friends in corporate roles in large organizations still and it sounds to me when i speak to them and when i'm you know spending my weekends with with my good friends in these companies that they're doing three or four jobs but they're only being paid for one yeah and i often say to them you do know you're doing four jobs and yet look at the stress that you're under look at the demands on you it's financial it's physical it's emotional you know you're a line manager of 15 20 people you're responsible for this enormous budget you've got this great big job title you've also got to do this commute and you've got to be the visible face of this corporation that's some big big shoes to fill and right. you know that comes with with some serious stress and, and i think what I, what i hear from you rob and certainly from from all of our experiences, it, it's taking ownership for your own responsibility, for your successes and your failures, but ultimately being rewarded or otherwise. You know, if you don't want to get up out of bed in the morning, you won't get paid. This is what mm -hmm. I say to my kids. You know, I don't get paid when I'm on holiday. I certainly don't get paid if I don't work. 
So there's a motivator that you never had before, before you've yep. even started. Yeah. And I think that this is, these are some of the important things that if I were to, you know, give advice to my younger self, it's that idea of be more agile. Yeah. Don't, don't get so ingrained into things, right? Yeah. Because as you get older, um, complacency becomes more of an everyday challenge yeah. in, in some respects. And so, you know, um, uh, like I say, I, in my, in my particular case, relationships are still very important to me. It's why I was successful in sales. Um, relationships today are different. Um, and so I also mentor people and say, look, if there's arrangements, even through, you know, search organizations where you can create a, hey, let's date and make sure we like each other before we get married, right? That turns that 18 or 12 to 18 month series of events in an opposite direction, I think. It, it, it can, you know, give some stability to both parties, the employer and the employee. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's, it's that try before you buy principle, isn't it? A little bit. Mm -hmm. I think so. And it's that the relationships thing, Rob, I've heard it from you several times now. And that is probably the biggest thing I'm getting from you. And it's clearly why you did do um, well in sales. I guess in recruitment, that is everything. The strength mm -hmm. of my business is, is the strength of my network. Um, and that encouragement for, pe for people to be open, agile, date you know with you know a recruitment search firm or something like that is spot on um yeah. this week um i've placed a guy um i've known him for eight years never got him a job but we've been texting emailing okay. talking about football um and he's just, you know he's, he's never complained that i've not had anything for, from him i've just understood what he's been looking for and after eight years I finally got him a job and I screenshotted it. I put it on, put it on LinkedIn the other day. Cause I was just so pleased with it. I was just like, I was like, <laughs> it's, like it's, it's only taken me eight years to get you a job, but I'm so glad you're pleased with it. But that's, that's it. It's about those relationships. You don't, it doesn't always need to be the quick win. Um, and that's clearly why, you know, you stayed at, at GSK or Glaxo for, for so long because you weren't looking for that sideways jump for a, you know, huge paycheck. You, you kind of saw that, the value in learning different parts of that business and have taken that externally to now use all of that knowledge within your own business and, and consultancy. So look, I guess, how, how, how does the business look now? So you mentioned earlier, JBS Ventures, uh, Biopharma um, advisors, how, how's that structured? You know, is there many staff? Yeah, what, yeah. So what happened is we kind of moved away from the biopharma advisors because we found ourselves moving out of life sciences too, especially with some of the startups, right? Um, I'm helping a small um, uh, business generate uh, startup income for their chocolate production business, you know, that kind of thing. So sounds tasty. Uh, I, I, it is, it's great, it's great chocolate. And uh, I can uh, ship you off some as long as we can get around some of the uh, export rules that exist. Um, but I could also just probably bring it to you directly and that would be fine. We'll have to set that up in the future. Um, but I, I mean, I think that's the, the idea here is that JBS Ventures is really about helping small businesses execute on their success. And whether they have the right plans in place or not, we've got enough experience with failed, you know, uh, you know, operational launches and things like that or services and products to know, you know, hey, these are probably the five things you really need to do well. Let's figure this out kind mm -hmm. of um, on a commercial side of the business. Um, but again, I'm also looking for teams because the other thing I tell people uh, you know, uh, just because of my follicle challenges, um, I'm able to uh, decide, you know, who I want to work with, because that's more important than, um, uh, you know, how much I get paid for that. Mm -hmm. Again, different lifestyle, not always, a, a, you know, in line with some of the sales representatives who are very successful. But um, it's why I'm on this podcast today. You know, Adam and I had a conversation and he thought you and I would benefit from uh, speaking. And, and here we are today benefiting uh, directly from the, the, that kind of thing. 
Absolutely. So. You, you, you've got to be open to these things. And I think that that's one thing that we learn more than ever these days, isn't it? That you've got to be open. You've got to be willing to take risks, to push yourself out of your comfort zone and, and to do something over and above what everyone else is doing. Certainly those yeah. that are in their little boxes and their, you know, with, with, with their nice job titles and uh, Christy pension funds, which is not me, by the way. Yeah. Well, I, I, um, I, I could go into uh, some thoughts around that, um, but it, it would have some descriptive adjectives that probably are not for uh, uh, internet consumption. You know, but, but at the end of the day, you know, I'd be interested to hear. I call it FU money. You got to have some FU money to be able to do this well. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I do want to make sure I'm emphasizing one other piece to this, which is this notion um, that I think, too, it's harder to operate as a team today. Um, you know, one of the questions you asked are, you know, what are the three qualities you value most in building a team? And, and from my perspective, um, everyone must agree to that common purpose. You know, I think so many times nowadays people get uh, unfocused on what the common pur purpose is, right? Um, that they've got to have their specific need met over everything else. And I, and I think that that's um, going to be difficult to maintain that resilience in that, in that environment. And, and the other thing I've learned experientially is that actually conflict does help resolve many of the barriers. You know, unless you kind of bang at a, away at something and have a mutual respect um, to solve the problem, you may not really solve problems. And so, you know, a lot of times in successful, um, you know, discussions with clients, we often resolve some of their business challenges by, you know, creating conflict purposely and, and finding ways around that. That's how innovation occurs. Definitely. Well, it all sounds um, sort of interesting. I like the way that you work. I love the way that you clearly build relationships. And, you know, clearly that's how us three are sitting here and talking right now. Um, but look, what's, what's next um, for, for both you and for the company as we, we head on? Oh, this year is flying already. But as we head on yeah. through 2021 and, and into 2022. Yeah, I... I I think it's more purposeful um, and intentional um, setting. You know, one of the things that I, th I think happens all the time in larger corporations is that you get into this rat race and that race just keeps getting at a faster pace, faster pace, faster pace. And I think, you know, in, in many respects to be humanistic about it, I'm wondering if, um, you know, COVID wasn't the great uh, pace setter to you know, slow everybody down a little. And, you know, because when you make decisions quickly without um, some careful thought, you oftentimes uh, don't make good decisions. It, it, it's done in the haste of the moment and it's based on humps, hunches and assumptions. And the more as we begin to rely on AI and machine learning and those kinds of technological advances, mm -hmm. uh, the world's only gonna get faster. And uh, I don't mean to say don't make decisions because I think that can also grind things to a halt, but there's got to be that balance there. And, uh, and so just always make sure, uh, you know, you, you thinking about being a little bit more uh, cynical and skeptical uh, as you're making decisions. It sounds like you're, you're talking to the human, the human touch as much as to the, uh, the computer in interrogation that's happening around and ev ev around the outside of everything that we're talking about. Yeah, I mean, I think if I think about AI algorithms today that I know are being developed, they're all very good, but they're all still very experimental. Yeah. And some of them don't uh, have the consequences fully thought out of what that means down the line. Of course, as you know, Adam, uh, from being in pharma and I do, uh, our legal and regulatory colleagues, you know, have sleepless nights worrying about all of those things, right? But how do we create the conflict to quickly resolve it so that we're actually finding solutions or, you know, ways to overcome those barriers? 
Fantastic. Well, look, it'll be interesting to see how that all develops uh, for you and for um, the business over the next 18 months, uh, Rob. But look, we've come to the point of the show. I have to say that you, you've beaten us to it on, on a couple of occasions and <laughs> upfront up answered. So for those of you listening in, I often um, give our guests a heads up of, of some of the, the quick fire questions that we may well fire out to them. Rob has integrated them into the show. He's self-edited here. <laughs> um, so look, that's that's how talented this man is. But we're going to go through them anyway, just so that you've all got them in a very nice, neat format. So, um, Rob, first question for, from my end. What is the, the, the number or the, the, the one piece of advice that you would give to your younger self? See, if I've done this well, you ought to be able to say, well, Rob, I think the one piece of career advice that you'd give to your younger self would be, <laughs> and my answer should be probably more agile. Like it. It, it, it like sounds it. to me like you are pretty agile, Rob. If, 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 if I'm hearing you correctly, you're a fairly agile bloke. You, you, you know that there's flexibility in and around everything that you're doing. Um, I, I'm married to a wonderful woman over 20 years, and uh, I've learned agile, uh, agile behavior very quickly. It helps. It helps, right? <laughs> uh, where you say agile, I say selfless. <laughs> 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 and Rob, James knows what I'm talking about as well. Um, that leads us nicely onto our, onto our second one, which is which is with regards to um, what's currently what, what's the book that you're currently reading? You did make mention of Seth Godin, and I just had a check because I remember, and I do listen to a lot of pods myself. And Seth Godin, he he talked about tribes, didn't he? And, yeah, um, yeah. He I runs, love, he, he runs I a podcast uh, called Akimbo. So the other, you know, you you framed it in terms of book or resource. Let me yeah. let me talk about the explosion of things like this medium here. Yeah, let's talk about that. Right. I mean, this this is a such a tremendous thing. And whether you're using Apple or Spotify or any of the major podcasting capabilities, um, the other thing that has always been great for me that allows me to be learned is that every morning for the first hour, I get on my iPad and I look through my literature and do quick scans. And with the thought that I would create some kind of social media post or some kind of information share that I could give to a client, to the world at large, or you know, to my networked audience. Now, again, yeah. my difficulty is the execution of that capability of translating that outside so that it has some meaning besides, hey, read this, you know. Um, it, it, it is time consuming, but to digest that information and then put it against the backdrop of what's happening in the world today is very helpful. And, I, and I've learned something here today about how even the job market is changing as a result of COVID. Yeah. And that's phenomenal. Most definitely. Well, again, another one that we've... <laughs> We've touched on already, um, Rob, and you've clearly built a few teams in, in your times. But um, look, the top three qualities that you value most, if you were to pinpoint them um, in yeah, as, as fewer words as possible. So three top qualities that you value most when building a team. So um, somebody that uh, when I was part of Galaxo very early on, it was, uh, the, the phrase was called work hard, play hard. Um, to tone that down to probably be more politically correct today, you know, take breaks and have fun. When you're crushing something really close and you got tight timelines and you're a small team, or even if you're a large term team, you have to take time to celebrate. Mm -hmm. And uh, we only have to think about what's been happening this week in the Olympics and the um, spotlight that is glaringly shown on mental health. Um, and, and for anybody who hasn't seen it, um, here in the States, their HBO is running a series that Michael Phelps, the uh, you know, Olympic gold medalist swimmer, produced on mental health in high-performing athletes. Now imagine if they have mental health challenges, imagine what mental health is in teams 
within these organizations. So, you know, in order to have a successful team, you've got to, you know, take breaks, have fun, be a family. Fantastic. Wow. I love that, Rob. Um, and by the way, we all have mental health. <clears throat> and that can be good, bad or indifferent, and it can change from one day or one moment to the next. So I really appreciate you sharing with that with us. Um, so move, moving on to, to your favorite thing outside of work, when you're not reading up about the industry and when you're not actively engaging with the industry, what is it you do when you are having downtime outside of work, Rob? So it's a huge time consumption, but I am an avid golfer. And at one time I had a handicap of 10. So for those that understand golf, that's not a bad golfer. That's not bad. Uh, unfortunately, that handicap is now doubled and is 20. Uh, and that I, I, a few years ago, realized that that was due to a lack of practice and a lack of uh, consistent uh, implementation. So I, I, I've uh, intentionally tried to change that by scheduling uh, one round of golf a week. And uh, it lives under that uh, take breaks and have fun mantra. Well, it also depends on how that goes down with the wife, because it can be very time consuming, as you've, you've mentioned. <laughs> it can be. Uh, and, and without getting into another deep subject, I would suggest <laughs> that she's OK with that. <laughs> or, or maybe nine holes, nine holes twice a week. No, nope. Nine holes is not enough, because if you don't go out and hit the driving range and practice putt in advance, uh, nine holes just takes that amount of time to warm up and your score goes all the shit. <laughs> Pardon me. No worries, Rob. We don't mind the occasional curse here on the Hosting One podcast. It does not matter. Um, and look, finally, what's your number one golden rule for life mm. and business? Treat others as you would like to be treated. Like it. Like it a lot. Well, look, Rob, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show, hasn't it, Adam? I think he's come out with some, some gems for us here today. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, as we often say, there are, some many, there are many common threads with, with what you've described today, Rob, but I think the way in which you've, you've put that across has been an absolute pleasure to listen to and to be engaged with. And uh, no doubt people come back to work with you time and time again, because you're a great guy, by the way. You, know, you well, really do come across as a really very, very genuine and uh, humble guy. Well, thank you very much. And it, it's, it's been a real pleasure uh, in the short time we've known each other to interact and, and hope we will have many other occasions to do so in the future. Thanks. I do hope so. Well, look, Rob, once again, thanks for joining us on the Huxley Morton podcast. Have a fantastic day. Thanks.